الحمد لله الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد مفتاح باب رحمة الله عدد ما في علم لا صراة والسلام دائمين بدوام منك الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه وشهد أنه الله الذي لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد بيده الخير على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا وكرة عيننا محمد عبده رسوله أرسله الله بالهدى والدين الحق ليظهر على دين كله ولو كره المشركون أما بعد يا عباد الله إني موسيكم ونفسي إياي بتقوى الله It is the taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we hope we will constantly be increasing in realization in and hopefully every day that passes the more serious that we will take taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we will also hopefully be doing what it is that we can that which is within our power to become people of taqwa so that we can receive guidance of the Qur'an which is of course hudan and muttaqeen it is guidance for the people of taqwa and understanding the depths of taqwa and what, how it relates to our heart the decisions that we make and understanding motivations and being in tune with the depths of our innermost being when all of that starts to fall in place then we will start to approach being from the people of taqwa there is a concept that is thrown around but very few people truly know what takes place internally in the heart of an individual in relation to taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and on this blessed day of Jumu'ah this is the thing that we must remind ourselves of how it is that we can increase in realization of this religion this should be our focus from morning to evening throughout our lives tahqiq of this deen realizing the great deen of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallama within ourselves this is what we are going to be asked about when our grave this is what when we are resurrected and we see what Allah Ta'ala has in store for the people who took this seriously and when they cross the traverse and enter into paradise this is what they would wish that they have spent their time doing here while they're on the face of this earth and this same reality of focusing on our deen you could also refer to it when we refer to the knowledge component of it as al-nafi' as beneficial knowledge or as Hujjat al-Islam Imam Ghazali referred to it in tariq al-akhirah the science of the path of the hereafter what you could call this teleological discipline a fancy word to simply mean focusing on the end the telos of everything which is the whole purpose that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us an aql, an intellect so that we can think about the future so that we can think about the consequences of our actions so that we can most importantly think about how it relates to the next world and the return, the ma'ad to our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala 
And so the decisions that we make here in this world, of course, they have consequences. And in the comprehensive guidance of our Prophet ﷺ, we have everything that it is that we need to prepare. And in every single sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ, there is nur. And in every single sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, there is barakah. And every single sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ, there is a shifa. And you could just go on and on and on about all of the khayrat and the good that is embedded and encapsulated in every single sunnah of our Prophet And one of these sunnahs that we are going to speak about today is the sunnah of cutting back on our food intake. And so just to frame this topic appropriately, we're not speaking about the lack of food This is something that Muslims should be very concerned about. And when we talk about hunger in this sense, people not having enough food, this our Prophet sought refuge from. And he said, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min ju'i fa'innu bitsal dajiyah. That, O Allah, I seek refuge, refuge in you from hunger because that it is a terrible companion. And so our Prophet sought refuge in hunger. And this is a type of hunger where someone is prevented from doing their daily duties, including, of course, their worship, but a type of hunger where they don't have the wherewithal to have enough provisions to get by. And this is something that we should all be very concerned about as believers to do our part in eradicating poverty in the world, and specifically that eradicating hunger and making sure that every single human being has enough to eat. And this is a very important topic that we need to speak about, but we're going to be speaking about hunger from a slightly different perspective today. And we're going to be speaking about from the perspective now where people start to cut back on their food intake, which is probably the phrase that I will be using to contextualize what is meant by hunger. Where we learn to cut back on our food intake. And we do so voluntarily and consciously. And when we do so, we realize there are immense benefits in it. And when we take it back to the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ, we find this is exactly what it is that he did. Our Prophet chose on one day to go hungry and the next day to that eat a bit of food. And in general, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ was to eat one meal a day. When he had guests, there are times where he would eat twice a day. But in general, this was his sunnah, that if he had what we would call lunch, which for them during that period was before the Dhuhr prayer, he wouldn't have asha, which is the meal before sunrise, sunset. He, if he had the meal in the first part of the day, he wouldn't have it in the latter part of the day, and vice versa. If he didn't have a meal in the first part of the day, he would have it in the latter part of the day. This was his general sunnah, unless that he had guests and then because he was the greatest of hosts that he would eat with them and sit with them and 
we know that when he would go hungry, he would do so, so that he can attain the virtue of patience. And when he would eat, وسلم, he would do so because that he wanted to attain the virtue of gratitude. And then there were instances where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put the best of creation in situations where they only had very little food. And there is a beautiful story where Sayyidah Fatima, his blessed daughter, one time brought the Prophet ﷺ a kisrat al-khubz. So in those days, we normally think of bread in terms of loaves. But it was oftentimes a qurs, like a round, that disc-like piece of bread. And still to this day in the Muslim world, you can find similar types of bread in Morocco, in different places in Yemen. And she baked that a course, a round disc of bread. And then she gave our Prophet sent him a piece, a kiss, or not even the whole thing, which indicates how they used to live, that there wasn't even enough for them to cook multiple pieces of bread, understood as the disc-like bread. She gave the Prophet sent him a piece. And she said that, I couldn't find it in myself to eat until that I brought you this piece of bread. And then the Prophet ﷺ said to her, This is the first morsel of food that has entered into the stomach of your father for the past three days. Our Prophet ﷺ, there was times where he was that put in that situation, where he was forced to only eat a little. But then there was times where our Prophet ﷺ chose to be that way, and chose to only eat a little. And so he has provided guidance for us, in all different circumstances. For those that don't have enough food to eat, he was in that situation as well, and so we can find guidance for it. And for those that have plenty and have the resources to buy food, he also gave us guidance, sallallahu alayhi wa on what to do in those situations as well. And when we think about this, one of the things that Hujjat al-Islam Imam al-Ghazali says when he introduces the ten benefits of hunger, he, um, he that speaks about the stomach and he talks about how important it is to learn how to control it. And for the scholars of the heart, controlling your food intake is one of the five overarching cures of the heart. It's one of the five most important things of all. That if you do those five things regularly, and they also include things like recitation of the Quran, al-istighfar fi sahr al-tadarra' mujadasat al-saliheen, reciting the Quran often, that turning to Allah Ta'ala and seeking His forgiveness in the latter part of the night, turning to Allah Ta'ala constantly and being with the righteous. It's of those five overarching cures of the heart. When you do it regularly, your heart becomes purified. And so it's very important that we take this seriously and we start to understand how it is that you and I can slowly start to cut back on our food intake. But what Imam al-Ghazali says, he actually says, In reality, the stomach is the yanbu' shahawat. It is the spring of desires. وَمَنْ بَتَ الْأَدْوَىٰ And 
the foundational place of diseases, والآفات, and defects. إِذْ يَتْبَعُهَا شَهْوَةِ الْفَرْجِ And so then he goes in this whole that list after that, that this whole list after that, of all of the things that come from that having that too much food intake. So once you eat too much, then it moves other desires that are in you. And then the carnal desires that you have as human beings. And then it moves further that other desires that come after that for things like ja and mal, for rank and wealth. And then that once these desires that are aroused in you, as Imam al-Ghazali says, he starts listing a long list of diseases of the heart that emerge from it. And all of that can start, you could start controlling all of that by simply getting control over your food intake. And as the scholars of this science say, this is where the spiritual path really begins. If you can't control your food intake, there's nothing else you could really do after that. There's no hope then to be successful with anything after that. We're talking about moving up in the degrees of Ihsan. But this is all something that we can do in relation to the type of food we eat and in relation to the quantity of the food that we eat. So again, just as we're not speaking about poverty, uh, food, that hunger in the sense of people simply not having enough, we're not going to be speaking about the dimension of food in terms of the type. We're going to be focusing on what Imam Ghazali puts forth as the ten benefits of hunger. In a voluntary sense, cutting back on one's food intake and what that does for you. So the very first benefit that he says is Safa al-Qalb. It leads to purity of the heart. وَإِقَالِ الْقَرِيحَ And becoming more intelligent. And literally, that being sharp-minded. And so, when you eat too much, and we've all felt this, it leads to a state of turbulence in the heart. And it causes all of these other things to rise to the surface, some of which we briefly pointed to. And also your mind becomes dull. Yes, you should eat before you take a test, but if you've eaten too much, what happens? You don't find that you're sharp when you take that test. If you eat too much before class, it's very easy to start falling asleep and become lazy in class. There's a connection between the amount of food that we eat and the purity of our heart along with our mental acuity. And the more that we cut back, not in the sense where we're also mental weak from too little, but in a balanced fashion, just cutting back. Where we start to just take steps in the right direction to trim that what it is that we allow into our bodies. So he says this is the first thing that happens in Obviously, there are medical reasons why this is the case. But the more that we cut back, the greatest benefit of all is that we start to attain purity of heart. And when you think about this word purity, when we talk about purity of heart, what is really meant by purity of heart? We understand purity in relation to the physical body. You have dirt on your hand and you wash it off. Or that an impure substance and you wash it off. What does it mean when it comes to the heart? 
Yes, we speak about cleansing the heart. We speak about washing the heart, polishing the heart. But what really is it? The safa of your qalb really relates to the thoughts that you have in your heart. And this is why they also refer to the same word in terms of your certainty. The asfaha fil yaqeen. The purest in certainty. Because the more certainty that you have in your heart, the more pure your heart becomes, the less bad thoughts that you have. Because the more that we allow the waswasa in the heart, the more disturbed and agitated the heart will be. And when you become protected from the thoughts of the shaitan, when you become protected from the that thuds like hearts of the nafs, then your heart is at rest and it is still. And so when we talk about purity, what we're really talking about is purity of thought. And the angelic-like thoughts that touch the heart very gently and that are accompanied with light have a very different impact upon the heart. They don't create that feeling and that agitation and that dissonance and all of these other types of things that we refer to as the opposite of safa, which is kedr, turpidity of the heart. The second benefit it relates to the first, but it is a slightly different characteristic of the heart. And it is what is called riqqat al-qalb. So by cutting back on our food intake, our hearts become more soft. And the very clear sign of a soft heart are tears that are shed from the eyes. If we find ourselves not crying at all, or if we haven't cried in a long time, that is a very bad sign. We should all go home tonight and force ourselves to cry. That is directly from the sunnah of our Prophet Our Prophet said, if you cannot cry, force yourself to cry. And you have to fake it until you make it. And you have to feign like you're really sad and cry until you actually shed tears. And this is one of the greatest sunnahs of our Prophet ﷺ that have been abandoned in our time, shedding tears for the sake of Allah Ta'ala. Is it not, as comes by way of a hadith, someone who, when they are alone, is that they have a tear shed, from the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, do we not hear about that of one of the seven people that will be under the shade of the throne on the day of judgment, the day there is no shade except his shade? Why? That is expensive with Allah ta'ala. That moment where your heart's in that state for him only, not because you lost dunya, not because of a relationship that broke up or anything like that. No, no, for Allah jalla jalalu, where you realize your shortcomings before him, you realize how you've gotten yourself in trouble with him and that you weep for his sake and then for the ummah of our Prophet ﷺ. These tears are extremely heavy in the scale. And were it not to be for those tears that were shed from those who came before us, beginning with our Prophet ﷺ, you and I would not be standing here. This deen would not have reached these lands and people like me would not have become Muslim were not to be for those tears that were shed for those who came before us. And you can almost say, in a sense, 
Was that the only thing that we to do as a community in these lands is get together and just weep for our people? It would be sufficient. It would actually be sufficient. Because when you're weeping outwardly, it indicates a state of heart that is beloved to Allah Jalla Jalalu. And so, having a soft heart, you and I know when you eat too much, what happens? Can you concentrate in your prayer when you eat too much? What happens when you say your awrad, your litanies, whether it's recitation of Qur'an or whether it's dhikr of some form? When you eat too much, you lack concentration because you don't have softness of heart. And the way that we benefit from ibadah, from worship, is having it impact our hearts. The more that any form of worship impacts our heart, the greater reward there is from Allah Ta'ala. So the whole purpose of worship is to impact our heart and to polish it and prepare it for the Divine Presence. And again, if you look over your heart, you will find if we don't cut back on our food intake, we recite a lot, we say a lot, but there's no impact. And if something's not impacting us, words that are being said, dhikr that is being made, it's a sign that something's wrong here. Because we know mercy's descending everywhere in every place. And then there's times and there's places and there's people that there's a more abundant amount of mercy that could be received. But if your heart is hard, it's like rain hitting a hard surface. It's going to bounce right off. And it's going to go to the lowest point where then it's going to be absorbed by something that can actually bring it in. And this leads us to the third benefit, which is al-inkisar wa-dhul. By cutting back on our food intake, it teaches us to be broken before Allah Ta'ala. It teaches us humility. And if you really think about it, if someone's hungry, they're much less likely to be arrogant. If someone's in a state <coughs> where they're hungry, they're much less likely to be arrogant. And so it's a practical way of keeping us humble, of reminding us of our true nature, that all of these distinctions that are made outwardly, when you get on a plane, there's different classes. In the end, the plane arrives to the same place, and everybody gets off the same plane. Some people are in first class, other people are in business class, some people are in economy but everybody gets off the same plane. And ultimately, everybody, if they don't get food, is going to get hungry. It's a reminder of who we really are. And then the fourth benefit, which is really profound. So that the servant does not forget tribulations that Allah sends to people or His punishment. وَلَا يَنْسَى أَهْلَ الْبَلَى Nor will someone forget the people who are going through tribulations. And so we are people that should be in tune with what creation is going through in a balanced fashion. We see everything that is happening from two sides of the same coin, from the standpoint of sharia and from the standpoint of haqiqa. You have to combine the two or you'll go crazy. 
Because when you open up the door to try to understand and show empathy for people's suffering, if you do not balance that with a view of the haqiqah, of seeing everything being from Allah, you might do something that's imbalanced. And you have to ultimately respond to every situation in a way that is pleasing to Allah. How do you view that situation inwardly? And what do you do about it outwardly? This is the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ to maintain ultimate balance. But the more we are aware of what people are going through in their tribulations and their suffering, the closer we are to the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ because the sadness that was in his heart was a sadness that was shown solely for the sake of Allah Ta'ala about the difficulties people, not only in his time, but people of the past and people of the future were going through. When the awliya say, in reference to the words of Allah, لِمَنِ الْمُلْكِ الْيَوْمِ To whom does the dominion belong to today? Many people will only hear that khitab, that address, يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ But for the righteous, they understand that now. The dominion belongs to Allah. And likewise, the illuminated souls, like the soul of our Prophet ﷺ, is aware of humanity's state. Not only those that are living in his time, ﷺ, the ones who came before, the ones that will come, and not only in relation to the dunya, their states on Yom Al-Qiyamah, and then where they will be after that. What awareness. That's very different. And if you see how narrow-minded we are, if, that if someone just doesn't give us something we want, we write them off. Where are we? How immature we are. We're like children. Even though we're older, we're like children. Let's just keep it real. We're very spiritually immature. If we saw the big picture, every relationship that you'd have with the person next to you and the people that are around you, let alone people that are in the same community, let alone the people that have sometimes the same teacher. And we can't even get along. Because we're so narrow and spiritually immature like children that are fighting over toys or a bite of food that was taken by a sibling. If we understand the big picture of what's really this affair that's at hand, and to the degree that we understand it, this will govern all of our interactions. And we will have a mercy that underlies everything that it is that we do with every single human being. Anyhow, this benefit here is to teach us to be cognizant of what people are going through. By you yourself being in a state of hunger, you realize there's other people that are hungry. It not only purifies your heart, it not only softens your heart, it not only brings about humility, but it makes you aware of what other people are going through. And then you add to that as well, whenever you see people in tribulation in the world, you take a spiritual meaning from it, and you apply that to yourself, what's going to be my predicament, Yom Al-Qiyamah? Whenever you see someone not having thirsty, <coughs> what's going to happen to me, Yom Al-Qiyamah? When you see someone hungry, what's going to happen to me, Yom Al-Qiyamah? You see someone in pain, what's going to happen to me, Yom Al-Qiyamah? The spiritual meaning that you take from being aware of other people's tribulation is that you make yourself, force yourself to be aware about what your state will be, Yom Al-Qiyamah, potentially. And then the fifth benefit is, 
كسروا شهوات المعاصي. By cutting back on our food intake, it literally breaks, it severs, it detaches our connection to our desires, which are the source of acts of disobedience. The shahawat of the ma'asi, every wrong action that someone does, it stems from some type of shahwa. It definitely originates in a desire. And this is why our Prophet is reported to have said, Love of the world is the fountainhead of all wrong action. Every wrong action that someone commits stems from some form of shahwa. And by cutting back on our food intake, because remember we began by very briefly saying, the more that we eat, the more that it causes desire to arise in the heart. By cutting back on your food intake, you're cutting back on the desires that are aroused in your heart in some of which at least are going to be desires that might directly be related to disobedience or they drag you further into other desires that are definitely from disobedience. So it helps us break ourselves in that sense. And unfortunately, when we use words like that, they're very strange because we think of like a broken person in a bad sense. And we think of a broken heart of someone that loves someone and whatever, something happened to them and they couldn't be with their beloved. And we've lost this spiritual vocabulary. And some of those things, yes, we have ways of understanding all of that, but you have to break yourself. And in fact, <coughs> that you have to wage war against yourself. And in fact, that you actually have to kill yourself, not in the way that people normally think about that. Obviously, suicide is haram, but you're nafs. With the killing of the nafs is the life of the heart. You are at war with your nafs in every single moment. And the people that are successful are those who learn how to discipline their soul and to force it into a state of obedience of Allah Ta'ala. And then there's a few more benefits that we will go over quickly. And these are more of an outward nature. By cutting back on our food intake, we'll sleep less and we'll be able to stay up longer, especially at night, which is the time that the righteous find intimacy with, because this is the time that we especially worship Allah wa Ta'ala. The more you eat, the more you drink, the more you drink, the more you sleep, and then the more you lose out in opportunities to worship Allah wa Ta'ala. Taysir and Mawadhaba, number seven, Al-Ibadah. It helps you to be in a state of worship. This is what they actually mention in the books. One of the great wisdoms of fasting during the day of Ramadan, of the many wisdoms, is to prepare you for the standing in prayer at night. So if you overeat when you break your fast, you've just completely missed the whole wisdom. One of the many wisdoms of fasting. It's to prepare you to stand in night in prayer. And at first, we think of it differently because we're always tired at night during prayer. Because we fasted during the day. Because we're still in the early stages of fasting. Once the sweetness of fasting opens up to us and we start to experience its wisdom, and this is possible, even for those of us that live in this time, in these countries in which we live, this is possible. If you put a little bit of effort in, you will find its fruit. It's so that worship becomes easier. And then we have the obvious one, صحة البدن ودفع الأمراض 
is that health, having good physical health and warding off sickness. <coughs> we should really eat well, and this is one of the great reasons. Because the righteous are concerned about their physical body, knowing that their physical body is going to perish. All of our physical bodies are going to perish, but your physical body is the outward casing of your worship. If you do not have good physical health, how are you going to worship Allah? If you take care of your health for this reason, it's the primary reason we take care of our health, not so that we can look good and people can say we're muscular or skinny or whatever else. The primary reason you take care of your physical body is so that you can worship Allah well. And there's an even deeper spiritual reason. Because when Allah Ta'ala opens up your heart to receive spiritually, sometimes it has a very difficult impact on your physical body, and the stronger you are, the more that you'll be able to bear. And then number nine, khiffatin ma'una. You'll be able to cut back on your expenses. By eating less and by controlling your food intake, your monthly bills will go down, literally. And then finally, and yet by doing so, it opens up the door for you to attain the great virtues of giving charity and preferring others over yourself. And there used to be a time in society where it was very easy to give out food. This is one of the challenges of living in the suburbs, is that there's not people close to you that you can easily pass out food to. In previous times, that oftentimes the wealthy would live very close to the that not so wealthy. It was much easier to give out charity. But by cutting back on your food intake, it opens up a door for you to then that to give out more and to attain these great virtues. So these are just some of the virtues that all come from cutting back on our food intake. May Allah Taala give us insight in this religion and give us fiqh of the deen. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Adameen, Wafdar al-Salati wa Tammu Taslim, Ala Sayyidina, Humawlana, Muhammadin, Wa Ala Ali, Wa Sahbi, Wa Salam, Ajma'een, Ashadu wa la ilaha illallah, Wa Ashadu wa la muhammad rasulullah, Amma ba'd, Ya ibadullah, Inni musikum wa nafsi iyaya, Bitaqwallah. In conclusion, this process of cutting back is something that we do very slowly, and we start by that trying to eat the best food possible and then cutting back just a little bit, in a little bit, in a little bit, over a long period of time. And really in our context, it's more about preventing ourselves from overeating. That's really the first step, is that when we have the tendency to overeat and we're actually already full most of the time and then eat even more and stuff ourselves, start somewhere. If you find yourself stuffing yourself, just cut it back a little bit to where you're already full. And then once you want to cut back a little bit further, if you're full, then just be a little bit less full. And then little by little by little, until you get closer and closer to the sunnah of our Prophet ﷺ. May Allah Ta'ala give us tawfiq and to bless us with all of these great meanings. Inna Allahu wa malaikatuhu yusallu ala nabi ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima. 
Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad kama sallayta ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa baraka ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad kama baraka ala Sayyidina Ibrahim wa ala ala Sayyidina Ibrahim fir alamin innaka hamidu majeed wa radiyallahu ta'ala insadatan khulafa rashidina bi bakar amu azban wa alim wa ala jimi sahadatan sahaba wa ahlabit rasulillah al-mutahareen min ajas wa alayna ma'amu fiin birahmatika ya arhamur rahimin اللهم اغفر للمؤمنين والمؤمنات المسلمين والمسلمات الأحياء منهم والأموات We ask our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq in all of our different affairs and to fill our hearts with light, ya arhamar rahimin, and iman, and yaqeen. And bless us to be, have complete devotion to this deen and to the sunnah of Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allahumma renew and bring life to the sunnah of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa within ourselves and to spread it amongst the people of this time, ya arhamar rahimin. We ask that we have the greatest portion of the prophetic inheritance and to live and die upon la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. And the very last words that we say when we exit this dunya be la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. Completely actualizing his meanings inwardly and outwardly. Inna Allahu malaikatuhu yusil. Inna 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 Allahu yamur ba'adi walihsan wa ita'id al-qurba wa inha'an al-fahshay wa al-mukir al-baghi. Ya'idukum la'alukum tadakkarun. Udhkur Allah al-Azim yadkurkum. Bashkur al-Nami. Zidkum. Wa nadhkur Allahi akbar.